Hello and welcome to Terrace Memoirs episode four. Um, I promised last week that we would be diversifying away from the world of Reading Football Club and we're doing that with um, 100% um, uh, full-on um, diligence this week, I think I suppose is the word. Um, I'm Dave Harris, your host, and this week I'm delighted to be um, joined by FSA caseworker and all-round West Ham fan, uh, Amanda Jacks. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm very well, Dave. Thank you. How are you? Good. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. It's uh, a gloriously snowy, sunny, cold, windy, warm day here in uh, in the deepest depths of Oxfordshire. I don't know what it's like there. It's exactly the same in the deepest depths, deepest depths of East London. Nice. Is yeah. <laughs> that uh, yeah? To be fair, I think um, yeah, it'd be one of those weekends where you, you you simply wouldn't know how to wrap up or wrap up for the footballers' weekend, would it? You'd be taking your jack your jacket off, putting it back on, and raincoats and everything. You just simply wouldn't know, would you? You wouldn't have a clue. You wouldn't. No, you're right there. It'd be on and off, on and off, like a no. I won't say that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we allow a little bit of swearing or or, or a euphemism here well, I, 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 it's all good say, um on and off like a hooker's draws but that's not perhaps overly edifying for a family podcast <laughs> yeah uh, no i think we can accept that okay. that's, all, that's all good so um west ham fan um where did it all where did it all get started for you well, I come from a family that is not into sport in any way, shape or form, unless you count Formula One as a sport, um, which my dad used to love and he still does watch religiously. So every Sunday when we were kids, it was shut up, don't speak, don't move in front of the television, go out because the motor racing was on. Um, but I never really got into it and to this day I'm hope I'm not alienating any of your listeners that happen to like Formula One but to this day I do not see the attraction of watching cars whiz round and round and round a waste a, a waste track a racetrack <laughs> um but my granddad also was not into sport but he religiously did the football pools so whenever we were at their house on a Saturday afternoon after he watched the wrestling with um Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks and I'm giving away my age there um <laughs> it, it, it was on to the football results and again it was don't you breathe don't move don't whisper, don't do anything because I have to listen to the football results. So I suppose that was my introduction to football, just listening to a load of um, teams being read out. And so was was he was he sat in front of the TV with his Paul's coupon marking off the, uh, the what the result was on his on his coupon? Was he? Because that's what my granddad was doing that's as well. Exactly, and we couldn't doing. say a word. Yes. Oh, so you completely empathize empathize with that then? Yeah. I do, I do, yeah. 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 Um, and my dad did the pools as well um, with no knowledge of football, but I do remember we were allowed to play spot the ball. So we were allowed as an extra special treat to mark across where we thought the ball might be on spot the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we probably need to go, given given the, uh, the I think the demographic of my listenership so far, uh, probably need to go into a little bit of detail about what the pools and spot the ball were. Um, so the pools was... Um, you, you had to, was it, oh, I think every, you had, what was it Vernon's, Little Woods, Zetters? Yeah. There were a few companies that did them, weren't there? there? Were. And you had to mark, and they had to mark off, they had a, a, um, a coupon that was, um, that had all the fixtures listed. Um, 
and you had to mark off. I'm not sure how many games it was because I've never done it myself. Was it eight games, ten games, something like that, and predict the result, win, lose, um, or draw? That's right. Um, and each, yes, and there were there were di- different results were worth different numbers of points, weren't they? So a home win or an away win, they were one point, weren't they? Yeah, um, I think so. I think that's about a, right. Um, a score draw was that two points. I, um, I honestly, I, I don't remember. I can't remember. Points, but you're absolutely right. I think if my memory serves me correctly about how the pools actually worked. And you had it very quaintly posted through your letterbox, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. And, then it was- yeah. and the old the old boy is always an old boy that did it, wasn't it? You'd come round and pick your money up. You'd give your, you'd, uh, yeah, give your, your, your coupon over and keep the little slip, wouldn't you? So yes. you could see how you'd done. Yeah. And I can just um, imagine your younger listeners going, what the actual, is that all about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you, I think you, you had to end up with something at the end of the, um, the classified results check. Um, you had your Paul's news, didn't you? And it was always something like 22, 23 or 24 points. Because you had to accumulate the number of points. And if you had that number of points, then you could claim a prize. Yeah. Um, game, something like and, that. And if a game was postponed, didn't they award points anyway? Oh, Why? yeah. They'd give, they'd, yeah, they'd give a, um, they, they'd kind of just give an arbitrary result, wouldn't they? Away win, home win, score draw, jackpot draw, or no score That's draw. That's right, yes. Um, yeah. And you, so you sometimes get a, uh, get a, a, an incredible result. Like, you know, like today, it would be like, Man City v Sheffield United, and you'd get like a no score draw, and it's like, what on earth is going on? Yeah, because they w- wouldn't have any any kind of correlation, seemingly to to form or whatever. No, none, none. But I I do remember that. Um, I mean, obviously, um, names of teams like Sheffield United didn't really strike much of a chord, but I do have clear memories of being quite enchanted by the names of the Scottish teams. Go on, give us a few. Oh, now you put me on the spot now, haven't you? Um, <laughs> well, Caledonian Thistle was one. Queen uh, of the South. Yeah. You know, all, all of those that sounded like very sort of enchanting and fairy tale like that I now can't remember because we are talking, God, oh, so many years ago. <laughs> I think they, they've got some really good names, though, haven't they? Um, uh, and certainly if you get into the, Scot- the early rounds of the Scottish Cup, you've got something like. Inverurie Loco Works or Civil Service Strollers or <laughs> or you know teams like teams with really really bizarre names like that. It's like yeah, yeah. I can see where you're coming from. With yes, that. so that so that was quite well. The one part of it I did didn't mind listening to, but uh, when when I said to my granddad, "What are you doing?" Obviously, because he didn't know the first thing about football, he couldn't even really explain what he was doing beyond trying <laughs> to win a few quid. Just, just like. Just like yeah, just like my mum, just marking marking the uh, the cross in the in the in, in just a few um, arbitrary boxes without any thought or whatever process going into it. I suppose it, in some ways is a bit like the national lottery picking numbers. Yes. Isn't it? From from the pools then, um, from somebody who was just being um, totally transfixed by all these names as a girl, you kind of it, it was a while before you actually ended up going to any sort of a football match in any way, shape, or form. Was was it not? It was, yes. Although there was the big match that used to be on telly. Um, do you remember it had the aeroplane flying over with a banner behind it? Yeah, yeah. Again, I do. giving away how absolutely ancient I am. But uh, 
that that would come on the telly sometimes if I was at my grandparents or at home or whatever. We, you know, you're flicking through. And I always remember looking at the crowd thinking, oh, my God, to be in that crowd must be the best thing ever. So it was it was the crowd and the chanting, I think, that attracted me more so than the game itself. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. So it was it was always it was always a Sunday afternoon, wasn't it? It was the only the only live match that you you you, you had other than sort of the FA Cup yes. final. Um and it, it was all you know, we, we spoke about this with Neil a couple of weeks ago, but it seemed to be always, you know, one of either Man United, Spurs um, Everton, Liverpool, Arsenal. We sort of, I think they were those the big six. And how little things have um, changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could you can include Man City yes. in there now. Uh, but yeah, it was always one of those clubs. Um, but yeah, no, I, so that, that was um, pretty much, I suppose, really, and that, that'll kind of ring true with a lot of people as uh, their first real experience. And, and you know, I, I, I still look at crowds now. You know, you look at my Twitter feed, it's always, you know, if I see a good bounce, it's always like hashtag bounce watch. I'm just not bothered about the game. I'm just more bothered about the crowd and what they're doing. Yeah, and doing um, the job that I do when football's on the telly, I do tend to watch the crowd more than the game. Yes. Or the Yeah. I think that, that that kind of goes hand in hand in glove, doesn't it, with, with what you do? Though. Yes, but it's really sad, isn't it? That you're just sitting there. <laughs> but um, again, going back to when I was a kid, and I've given away my age by now, so it won't be any surprise to anybody to hear, sort of like in the 70s when I was at primary school, um, all the boys played football in the playground, and they were all Kevin Keegan. So I grew yeah. up not really understanding that there were any other teams other than Liverpool, because literally all the boys in the playground were Kevin Keegan, minus the curly hair. So yes, um, yeah. that, that was sort of my introduction to football. And then when I was at secondary school, about 14 years old, um, my best friend at the time, her dad, was a director of Woking Football Club. So and okay, my friend yeah. Lisa worked on a Saturday in Woking's boardroom. So one day she said, look, come along and help me. So I said, yeah, all right then. So went along and sort of walked into this room that was thick with cigar smoke and full of men in sort of camel hair coats, nursing brandies and whiskies. And there was a tiny little bar um, and we stood behind that and these sort of men came up and said, oh, I'll have three brandies and a whiskey or whatever or a bottle of Guinness. And that was my introduction to live football via the boardroom of Woking Football Club. Ah, yes, the, cards. Uh, the mighty uh, cards. Yeah, good, a good, good little introduction, I suppose. Um, and you know, they'll obviously been sort of non-league. Do you still do you still follow? Um, Woking at all, or are you just completely detached from them? Um, now? I follow them in so much as that I look up their results every week. Um, and a couple of years ago, went back to a game there when my nephew was ball boy. So that was lovely okay. to go back. And it was so nice just being in a cosy little football ground where you could walk around the pitch you weren't glued to your seat so if you saw your friends over in the corner you could get up and move around um very friendly very nice very just yeah just nice with Mona's corner and I think that woking as Mona's corner. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I think that rings true with a lot of non-league um, non-league clubs and non-league supporters. Um, some of who I know who have drifted away from league football to to the non-league game, and um, and certainly with my local club, I've mentioned them before on here, Shrivenham. They play in the Hellenic League, so they're significantly lower than than, than Woking. Um, but the, the atmosphere is very much the same. You pay, you know, you pay your fiver on the turnstile. You don't need to worry about having a seat. You can have a pint walking around the pitch or vodka and coke or whatever drink it happens to be you desire. Um, and just, you know, just watch a game of football for for what it is. And um, you know, obviously the fans of that club they'll be invested in in it and they'll feel it. Um, but it's it's not the be all and end all, really. You know, for people like me who who have a league club who who, who do who do still follow league uh, non league football. It's not the be all and end all, and it's nice to go to a game and in a relaxed environment, I think, um, and not be invested in, in in what's really happening on the pitch. No, you're you're absolutely right, and it was so nice to be there. It really was, and you know, you're not stewarded within an inch of your life. They've they've got a seated end and a terrace, so if you've got your legs aching after a bit of standing up in the freezing cold, you can just wander around and find yourself a seat without anyone stopping you and demanding to see your ticket. Um, which you know, I understand has to happen at at the bigger stadiums, but equally, it was just yeah, it was it was nice, a very 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 nice evening. And um, as and when we can go back, I hope to go to more games back there. So, this this whole experience at Woking, working in the director's box, um, it lit a fire, you know. When uh, clearly, um, and we spoke briefly beforehand um, about you wanting to be able to go, but not feeling you you, you wanted to unless you were actually experiencing it with somebody else, um, and that opportunity came around um if i remember rightly when you met your husband it is indeed is right? right yes so um yeah you know it, like i said i mean football was you can't not be aware of football and you know fast forward a few years after leaving school i moved to london and go, going to a match was something that i always would have liked to have done but as, as you said it was i i didn't not go because oh i'm a woman and i feel scared going on my own it was literally you know i, I just think it's an experience that you want to share with somebody and none of my friends mm-hmm. were particularly bothered, so I just like put it to the back of my mind. Um, but then I met my husband, ardent West Ham fan, and we started going over the Berlin together. Which which bit of the which bit of the ground? We were you had in? our season tickets in the chicken run, and we were literally front row, halfway line. So really, nice. really, really good seats. And so the chick the chicken run. So I'm looking at it from the away end, uh, which is the the travel property yep. stand. Um, behind, behind the goal, uh, and the chicken run is the one that's on the left it hand is side, indeed, isn't it? Yes, the, the old stand. stand. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and we went to loads of away games as well, and yeah, absolutely loved it. But for various reasons, um, stopped going, and unfortunately, sort of like not not picked the habit up again. And also, you know, doing this job as well, going to a match becomes a bit of a busman's holiday. And mm-hmm. I find yeah. it very difficult to switch off, which I might, you know, people might say, oh, well, if you support your team, you support your team. But when you're so invested in what you do, it's incredibly difficult to switch off from it because you're in the environment that you work in. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I get that. And we'll come to what you do um, a little bit later um, as a caseworker for the, for the FSA. Um, but you started going to West Ham, was it in 98? Um, so trying to think about, about, you know, about back then. So 98, you're obviously Premier League side established. 
um, yes. Canio, who yes. was there, yes. Harry Redknapp. Did you have the Romanians there as well, Florin Radicioyu and, uh, yes. and the like? Um, yeah, um, Rio Ferdinand, Joe Cole, Frank Lampard. So it's all that era that were there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was brilliant. Absolutely loved it and miss it to this day. There's just, you know, everyone listening will just identify with, you know, you, you park your car or you get off the train and you turn right or left down the road where your stadium is and just the noise and the smell and the atmosphere and it's just amazing and it's not you know it's it's something um that sadly can't be created at the new stadium no sure i mean i've not been to the new stadium but um, i went to west ham went to upton park um probably half a dozen occasions um every time being from reading um, so easy to get to a London game, just cross London, get off the tube at Upton Park and make that short walk. There's a couple of pubs along the way, I think, as well, which we which we drop into. Well. Um, but no, it, it, I mean, it, it, Upton Park is is one of those evocative English football stadia, Absolutely. isn't it? Um, yes. Or wasn't it, should I say? Yeah. Um, always, I, I never went there before it was redeveloped, you know, when you had the, uh, uh, the terrace in at either end. Um, I was always, I've only ever went there after the Trevor Brook and Stand had been uh, I've been two tiered, as it were. Um, but yeah, it's one of those one of those stadia that that and one of those areas. It's a part of London that's a little bit different. It's because East London, ninety percent of people from East London just support West Ham, don't they? I know you've got Leighton Orient nearby. You've got all the other big London clubs nearby. But you know, East London is. It always struck me as that little bit different from anywhere else in London. And everybody supported West Ham. Yeah, I think. Is that um, fair? Yeah, although there were definitely a smattering of Spurs and Arsenal supporters around. Um, in, in fact, I got a taxi yesterday and the um, driver was born and bred in Hackney and he was an Arsenal fan. So I, I think lots of West Ham, definitely, but certain, but not exclusively. But I think you're right there. I, I mean, the East End itself is just so... Um, wrapped up in mystery isn't it and the craze and the jelly deals and the knees up mother brown I mean, it, it, it is just the land of the cliches isn't it but i think if, if you yeah, speak to yeah. any londoner they will say you know it's my part of london but i i mean whilst i wasn't born here i've my aunt's just done some research into our family tree and i was absolutely chuffed to bits to find out that there's actually a lot of eastenders in our family so um nice. born and bred you know great great grandparents born and bred in bethnal green victoria park area um shoreditch so yeah so i don't feel quite as big a fraud as perhaps i did knowing that i've got primary east end roots um so it's a, it's a little bit of a homecoming for you there because you live I in do, the East yeah, End now, don't you? Green. Yes, before it was gentrified, yeah. I hasten yeah. to add. But no, I, think, I, I think as well, you yeah. know, you, every, I think every single football fan that's ever been to the Berlin will have memories of it. And obviously in the bad old days, yes, you know, it will, it was an intimidating place. But equally, I think, and again, you know, this might be rose-coloured glasses or listening to too, too many stories. But I think if you came to West Ham for a good day out, you'd get a good day out. If you came for a fight, mm -hmm. you'd have a fight. I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot of clubs that are like that. But, you know, um, 
West Ham, they're that traditional working class club uh, with working class support. Um, and, you know, it's exactly as you say, you, you get what you come for because people will, you know, ultimately will just be people and they won't, they won't put up with any shit. Um, but they'll also be, you know, be your best mate for, uh, for a couple of hours before a match if you wanted Absolutely. them to Absolutely. And like, um, like any area, you know, they were home pubs and away pubs. But if there were away fans in the home pubs, provided they weren't being dicks, absolutely no problem yeah. whatsoever. None at all. Most people know the score, don't they? And most people know, you know, wherever you go, if you're nice and friendly, and then you'll be treated exactly the same way back. But if you go in giving it, you know, oh, look at me, then you're going to end up probably being shown the door quite quickly. I miss it. I miss it so, to this day. And in, and in fact, I went to um, Green Street a couple of summers ago, the summer after we moved. And this will probably mm-hmm. sound ridiculous, but it the street just felt really sad. And it was saying, yeah. where is everyone? This isn't right. And it, it, it just felt mm-hmm. so like the pubs were shut, the cafes were shut. And, but in my head, I could see it all and hear it all, but it, it just wasn't there. And it was just, Awful, just yeah. Awful. Yeah, no, no, I can, I could, I could just picture you walking down the street and it all dead, and then Elijah Wood just walking <laughs> around the corner with his, with his firm. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think at, at any club, you know, like your Crystal Palaces or your Everton's, who have still got your old grounds. Well, Everton will be moving, won't they, within the next few years? Yeah, they've got that ground that's uh, due to be built over they the have, dockyard, isn't it? They have, does look incredibly smart. I just think, you know, be careful what you wish for. I think Spurs, um, to an extent, have started to experience that, although they haven't had that that long in the stadium, have they? The new stadium. They were late getting in there. But again, they've, they've, they've got this huge end behind the goal, haven't they? And they've had so many issues with, um, with, with, with the steward in there with fans um, just basically, you know, wanting to have a good time and stewards getting in the way of that. definitely. And I think sort of expectation management, perhaps with the benefit of hindsight over there, could have been managed somewhat differently. But I I think you're absolutely right. And loads of people would have bought season tickets for that end, thinking it was a standing end, the lively Mm -hmm. end, but um, not so much. But the stadium itself, I I was lucky enough to have a behind-the-scenes tour and the amount, the well, the attention to detail of that stadium is absolutely mind-blowing. Like, there's a spot in one of the bars that actually marks the centre circle of the old White Hart Lane. Yeah, sure, because it's slightly offset now because yes. it's so big, isn't it? Yes, but lo- lots of little touches yeah. like that, which, you know, so much thought and care has gone into that stadium, whereas, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that couldn't really happen because we moved into an existing one. No, sure. And, of course, there were the teething problems there at the start as well, yes. weren't there? significant teething problems i think with with away fans and home fans mixing on the concourses and the issues that yes. that provided if yeah I remember and rightly. i was actually there for one of the games um when it all kicked off quite dramatically who was it was it spurs mm-hmm. wasn't it was it spurs or chelsea was it spurs there was uh chelsea. Chelsea, i think chelsea there was yes, a league cup game it there was wasn't chelsea there? and i was at that game and i was standing there watching it and I could see it boiling and boiling and boiling and boiling and boiling. So when it actually erupted, sadly, I wasn't in the slightest bit surprised by it. It was, Mm -hmm. 
chaotic, yeah. shall we say. So was that, um, yeah, so was was that, in your opinion, down to um, poor crowd management or stadium dynamics that, that hadn't been... Um, both. Both, right? I mean, um, my, my okay. what I will always say is, um, you know, whatever the incident, individuals need to take responsibility for their own behaviour, but mm. how they are policed no, and stewarded and managed will absolutely play into that dynamic. That's that's absolutely fair, and I think that's the biggest the biggest lesson that anybody who does end up in any kind of well, for want of a better word, trouble at football um, is to reflect on it and how could you have acted differently um, to prevent that potentially happening. Now, if you go in and looking for it, then that's a different kettle of fish altogether, and you know you deserve everything I think that that comes your way, but. Yeah, the vast majority. I think is, is it well. As I said earlier, we'll get into your casework um, business a little bit um, later with the FSA. But at the moment, it's. I suppose it's. It's certainly in my experience. I think it's fair to say that the the number of incidences or the, the, the incidences of trouble are more inadvertent um, than than they are deliberate. Yes, I think that is fair. Um, and I would say that the vast majority of incidents where there is disorder, it's spontaneous rather than pre-planned. I think pre-planned disorder yeah. is very much a thing of the past now. Yeah, certainly. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that would play very, very well into my into my experience following following Reading. But casting your mind back to, um, to West Ham and the days when you were going and enjoying your time um, with your husband then, your favourite moments, really, I suppose. You know, any sort of favourite players, favourite moments? It, clearly, since since you started going, um, you've had some um, some great seasons in the Premier League. You've had some quite horrendous seasons in the Premier League. You've seen them in the Championship. You've seen them in an FA Cup final. Um, you've seen them. You, you've seen them in Europe as well. Uh, is, that, is that true? No, um, I think uh, we went to the home game against Palermo. Um, but I didn't travel abroad with, with West Ham to see them in Europe. But I think yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the highlight has got to be the FA Cup run leading to the final, which, which was just... Yeah. Sure. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it now, even though we lost to Stephen bloody... Blah, Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with his cramp-ridden leg yes. and blasted yeah. in. Yeah. I still, I still, I still wonder. I just, uh, well, I, I look at that. And of course, yeah, Shaka Hislop is a, is a hero of mine because he started his career at Reading. Uh, I, it just seems to move in slow motion to try and save that, and he doesn't no, get anywhere near it. No, does he? not a hope in hell. And I'm seeing that ball now just fly into the net. And can we move on, please? Because it's all too traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, it'll sit, it'll sit long in, in in the memories of uh, of number of fans, as much as you, um, as as much as it pain, pains you. Um, it was a classic classic final, and unfortunately, it didn't go the same way um, or the way that you'd have wanted it to. No, and it, and it, um, and it was it was even worse because I, I mean, you go there hoping to win, but your your head is telling you this is Liverpool. You're probably not mm -hmm. going to win. So just enjoy the day. But then, of course, we scored yeah. and they scored. Then we equalised. Then they scored. Then we equalised. So your hopes were just building and building and building and building. And you just dared to mm -hmm. believe that, yeah, you're in with a really good chance here. But then as soon as it went to penalties, it's you just 
knew. And my husband said, apparently, I went completely knuckly grey. Yeah, I, I, I know how you feel. I mean, I've not been in the situation where I've been fortunate enough to watch my team in a, in a major cup final, but um, a playoff final. Um, well, I've seen us in four playoff finals. We've lost them all. Um, and the, the, the one that hurts the most, really, is the, is the first one. Because um, we were still little old rusty, rusty red in, in, um, in little old Elm Park, going two 0 up in a playoff final against Bolton, and it, the feeling was exactly the same. And I, can, I know exactly where you're coming from. You go in there hoping to win, but not necessarily expecting. Um, even though we were the form team going into the playoffs, and we'd done Tranmere, who were a good side back then with John Aldridge and Pat Nevin and whatnot. We'd done them in the playoff semis, but we had Bolton um, in '95, um, and we go two 0 up. And you're thinking this is, you know, you know, again, it's goosebumps. And that feeling when that second goal went in was just, uh, it was off the scale, absolutely off the scale. And, you know. and so, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, obviously we lost and it's heartbreaking and all the rest of it, but even to have celebrated those goals, you know, nothing, you still celebrated those goals and you had those moments of absolute delirium and, you got to an FA Cup final mm -hmm. and it, you know, the word privilege is bandied around these days, isn't it? Left, right and centre. But I think it is a privilege to see your team in an FA Cup final and the uh, whole experience of the day yes. from start to finish was just incredible. Yeah. And I think it's, it's one of the things that I, I really want to see Reading, um, Sort of Reading competing. Obviously, we we had the semi final six years ago against Arsenal, um, but a semi final at Wembley no, isn't the same not. as a final. Um, and as I say, we we've never been we've only ever been to Wembley once in a in a cup final. That was a similar cup final, nineteen eighty eight. I was too young to go. Um, so, but yeah, to get a, a get to a major cup final will be absolutely huge. And you know, I, I'm immensely jealous of a number of clubs that I would consider similar size to us, like Hull, um, like Wigan. Um, and um, Stoke, uh, for example, getting you know three of those clubs in the last ten years have got to an FA Cup final, Swansea in the League Cup final as well. You know, um, it would be. I mean, the the word day out is sometimes um, uh, ridiculed in football, um, but yeah, it would be probably the biggest day out that you know Reading Football Club could ever hope to have. So, you know, for for, for West Ham, you know. It, Yes, you, you know, you've been lucky enough to win the Cup in the past as well, in the, in the 70s um, yes. and the early 80s, was it? Trevor yeah, Brooklyn, against Arsenal. 1980, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so it wasn't, I suppose it would, it would be exactly the same because it was yes. still 26 yeah. years later. Uh, and also yeah. for us as well, I think the fact that it was in Cardiff made it, because if it was in London, yes. it would have yeah. just been the tube ride across town and then an incredibly mm -hmm. sad and depressing tube ride home but the whole drive down to Cardiff you know there yeah. were coaches and cars and everyone was bibbing everyone else and coach loads of blokes you know pulled up on the hard shoulder on the motorway having a pee and everyone bibbing them and you know Cardiff <laughs> itself is just an amazing city that lent itself so well to being the host of a final. It was it was. It was a bit of a shame that um, that the FA or the, the, the big uh, FA games, the League, the Cup finals, ended up going back to Wembley because Cardiff did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, and it was in, in many ways, it was a better experience. I thought. I mean, we, I, again, I only ever went to Cardiff once for the playoff final, 
but it was a much better experience going to Cardiff than it was going to. Um, oh, absolutely, to London, definitely. And I mean, we, we missed out on getting accommodation in Cardiff, so we stayed in um, Usk, which was probably about twenty miles outside yeah. of Cardiff. Um, and there was a few other, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, actually, no West Ham, but there was some Liverpool staying there, and the pub owners could not have done more for us if they'd have tried. And, you know, when we walked back yeah, in sure. afterwards, all dejected and sad, our drinks were already on the bar. They wouldn't accept payment for them. All the locals were amazing, bought us drinks all night. So, you know, all, th- things like that, you just wouldn't have got necessarily in London, but you did there. And, yeah, no, fantastic sure. city, fantastic day out, fantastic hangover that lasted about three days. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and not all of that, I imagine, was no, alcohol induced either. Was, was um, it? Yeah, just it took a while. In fact, it still hurts to this day. I can still remember those feelings. And there's still those feelings of regret that we didn't do it. But yeah, that's been a yeah. Se- yeah, Seconds right, away as well, right wasn't it? <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Sorry. That's right. Do you think that, that, um, that, that experience, because that was the first season back in the Premier League after a two-year hiatus in the Championship. The next season was, uh, well, quite frankly, a disaster, albeit towards the end with um, with the former Carlos Tevez. Did that FA Cup final um, play and the feelings of, of dejection after that play into and sort of hang over into the next season, which is why <laughs> perhaps you weren't there? Or was it more a case of um, teams had found out how to play against West Ham? I think the latter... I think the latter. I think you you lose, don't you? But you pick that that that's what being a football fan is all about, isn't it? You pick yourself up, you brush yourself down, and you go again. And the fact that we're even in the final against all expectations, and the fact that it was, as, as you said earlier, you know, one of the great cup finals. I think viewing figures shot up, didn't they, after half time? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Obviously, every fan is different and some people might feel very, you know, ha- how you described afterwards. But I just think we got there. We gave an absolutely fantastic account of ourselves. We did ourselves proud on and off the pitch. So I, I, don't, I, I don't really remember the, the fact that we lost it having a negative effect. I don't think it sort of raised expectations because we didn't have expectations, if you know what I mean. It, it, yeah. We're West Ham, so we, we, there, there was no sort of sense of entitlement that we needed to win something or we needed to be somewhere that we weren't, if that makes sense. So I suppose to yeah. put it succinctly, yeah. we're a pragmatic lot. We know our place, if you like. And yeah, a cup runs always yeah. nice and a bonus, but and obviously it would be fantastic. You know, this season we're fourth. We've got Champions League looming; would be absolutely amazing. But I don't think mm-hmm. West Ham fans would see that as a sustainable future. No, um, I think from looking at it from the outside. I mean, I remember this was the going back to sort of two thousand and six. Obviously, the first season that Redden have ever had in the Premier League. Um, so we, we, you know, we obviously played you. Um, I remember going to Upton Park, and yes, all right, we won. We won one 0 very early goal from Sulky Hyun. Um, 
but we were hanging on. You know, you you there were there were you know West Ham at still remember t- today one one chance from um, uh, Matthew Etherington who was put through on goal and he put it wide. And this was about, with about 20 minutes to go. And, you know, that was just one of a number of chances that West Ham missed that day. Um, and this was fairly early in the season, I think, beginning of October. And so, you know, the quality was still there um, and the effectiveness was still there. It, it just seemed, you know, particularly on that day and um, and in weeks before that, you just couldn't no, find No, it's luck, net. isn't it, as well? I think luck plays a bigger part in football than perhaps a lot of people would acknowledge. Yeah, yeah. It only takes one little flick for a um, you know, for for a through ball to go through to the keeper or to go through to yeah, the player that absolutely. it was intended for. So, so going wide and um, which we probably did numerous times, hitting the bar, the post, whatever, not getting penalties when we should have done. It just the luck wasn't for us. And when you don't get that luck, of course, because you know, as you, you say, luck plays a huge part in football. When you don't get that, you you start losing confidence. Um, and of course, that ended up with Alan Pardew losing his job, didn't it? Yes. Alan Derbishley came in. Was it his first game? You beat, I think you beat it Man was. United. Yes, yes. Man United have always been a bit of a bogey team for us, yeah. I think, haven't they? We've beaten them quite a few times when we, um, in theory, shouldn't have done. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was when was that? Beginning of November, back end of November, and, then, and yet within a month. I've got, go to, I've got to mention this. <laughs> New Year's Day. You, you know, you go from beating Man United to within a month, not even playing Carlos Tevez or um, Javier Mascherano, and you're losing 6-0 at Wasn't the Madeira. Was Valentine's Day? Um, it, New Year's Day? No, Did, it was, was New Year's not, Day. Was, was there a game yeah. on Valentine's Day that we lost horrifically? Or is this already? I'd need to look this one up. Um, but yeah, um, certainly the one that's in my mind is uh, is New Year's Day. Yeah, or, um, yeah. So I remember, and, or maybe but, but, it was Millwall. We played on Valentine's Day. We definitely played somebody on Valentine's Day and got absolutely hammered. Yeah, a couple of seasons before in the Championship, wasn't it? You lost four yes, one to Millwall one. at the Den. That was that would have been around that time. I was time. there. Yes, that was. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's that always was, a tasty um, picture, isn't it? Yeah, an experience and a half. I think I was probably one of the very few women at that game, and there was lots of faces there that you didn't see ordinarily on a away day, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, but, but you, you you survived that season. Yes. Oh um, six, oh seven, just um, now. Obviously, there was the controversial transfer. I think we call it of um, Tevez and Mascherano. Uh, with the dual ownership side of it, Sheffield United went down. You know they had it in their own hands. They only had to had to beat mm-hmm. um, Wigan, didn't yes. they, on the last day of the season. But of course, you know Warnock, Neil Warnock, lovingly known as Colin, um, obviously not very happy at the end of it. Is there still um, any kind of antipathy from West Ham towards? towards Sheffield United for, for what went on afterwards or is that all kind of I think under it's the brought up but not I I mean it hasn't to the best of my knowledge it's it's not turned into a bitter hated rivalry I think there's probably a bit of needle over it um, yeah no I mean it, I, I I wouldn't say Dave it's caused a massive 
rivalry between the two clubs, but I would say a bit of needle because mm -hmm. football fans don't have to look very far, do they, to find an excuse to have a bit of needle with, with, with opposition fans. <laughs> no, no. I think I think the, uh, the the phrase that's often used these days is forcing the rivalry. And it's uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. That football fans. I mean, they, they tend to have long memories, don't they? Um, and if if you're in that situation where something happens in a game or something happens um, within the history between oh, the two yeah, clubs, then people will will try to yeah. force that. Yeah, but I, th I think sort uh, of, um, I th yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I think it's sort of in the olden days, the rivalries were there for really good reasons. Well, not good. Well, you know what I mean, like valid reasons, <laughs> legitimate reasons in the minds of football fans. But now it's it cling on yep. to anything, yep. however remote, to try and generate that feeling but I don't think we're going to see a repeat necessarily of the incidents that caused the traditional rivalry between clubs to this day. So, you know, from where I'm sat, you're looking at something like, for example, Brighton and Crystal Palace, which is all um, based, I believe, around Brighton changing their nickname from, from, was it the Dolphins, to Seagulls because they wanted to take the piss out of Palace being the Eagles. Uh, and they've hated each other ever since. Uh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, so, so, sort of the more modern things. And from? I think sort of um, with, with Chelsea and Liverpool as well, like Chelsea, there, there's um, a, a feeling that Liverpool are huge rivals of Chelsea amongst some Chelsea fans, but Liverpool fans are completely and utterly bemused by this. Well, certainly the ones that I speak to and can't mm -hmm. see for yeah. the life of them why Chelsea are trying to make them a big rival because not in the eyes of Liverpool. Yeah. So you, 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 you followed West Ham for a, for a, for a few seasons, but I'm not sure how many seasons it, it would be, but after a after a time, you discover this organization at the time, the football supporters federation. And now the football, football supporters. It is, yes. Um, we, their name is after right? we merged with supporters yeah. direct. But yeah, with, without, um, yeah, so we yeah. followed West Ham home and away for about 12, 13 years and then gave up the season tickets, but went to the odd games that we could get tickets for. Um, and then sort of like the job really mm -hmm. kicked in. And then, well, we never sort of picked up the season ticket habit again, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so the, my, my route into the Football Supporters Association started when a West Ham fan called Peter Caton started this safe standing campaign called Stand Up, Sit Down. And he was yep. handing out mm -hmm. flyers outside the Berlin. And I took one and read it and thought, oh, this looks interesting. Um, said, do you want a hand with this? So he said, yeah, I'd love a hand with it. So started to get more involved with that campaign um i think the highlight of which was russell brand coming along and handcuffing himself to the gates which was memorable um i we because we, he'd agreed no never, never want to shy away from a bit of publicity no, yeah so he? um i can't remember how we got hold of him but we did and he was very generous with his time and said, yeah, sure, I'll help you and blah, blah, blah. So we'd arranged to meet outside the ground um, ahead of a game and 
he wasn't there, he wasn't there, he wasn't there, he wasn't there. And we were thinking, shit, 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 because we'd made this massive thing about Russell Brand helping us out. And then this um, car with blacked out windows mm -hmm. crawled along Green Street, pulled up outside. Um, Russell Brand tumbled out of it, closely followed by a young lady. Um, Russell Brand reeked of sex, drugs and rock and roll. Literally, I don't even question. No, I'm not even going there as to what was happening in the car before he pulled out of it, fell out of it. Um, but yeah, he was amazing. Handcuffed himself to the gate, so all the journalists were there. It was really, really good. Um, but yes, I digress with that little anecdote. Um, so I got more and more involved with Stand Up, Sit Down. And then that opened the door to the Football Supporters Federation as it was then um because you know they, they were and still are the big yep. organization and we kind of needed them and they take notice of us so um we started to work more and more closely with the fsf as it was then then i was encouraged to stand as a national council member which i did still sort of pushing the mm -hmm. um terrorist agenda you know the stand, safe standing agenda and then I started to get more and more interested in the policing and the yeah. stewarding I can't remember exactly how it started why sort of word I think a couple of complaints came in about heavy-handed stewarding which I helped with you know very green yeah. not really knowing very much about anything um so I was stomping around like a bull in a china shop this treatment is absolutely outrageous blah 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 um I think the complaints we helped supporters with were successful. Then obviously word got out a bit more. And then I was contacted by a Man United fan called Sam, who had been arrested, funnily enough, at West Ham. Long story short, it was a case of mistaken identity. And so I could verify his story because not because I didn't believe him, but to get it verified would have strengthened his case. I got in touch with a solicitor who represented mm -hmm. him at the police station. And that solicitor was Melanie Cook. And long story short, she sort of happened to say, well, look, if you ever get football fans that are arrested or need legal help or advice, I'd be happy to help them send them away was that the birth of um the, the birth that of was the birth legal, of them melanie was there? working for a different firm at the time um but word right. got out so more and more supporters it started sort of i mean a, a trickle became a flood of supporters not just those who'd been arrested yeah. but those who'd been yeah. turfed out by stewards or um you know treated badly by the police or whatever and it, it all just kind of really mushroomed from there and then got an email mm -hmm. from a stoke city fan who had been or had tried to get to old trafford man united and he'd got a coach yeah. with lots of other Stoke yeah. City fans and they'd stopped at a pub in Earlham, which is just outside Manchester, for, yeah, for a few beers before the game. Yeah. All yeah. of a sudden, the pub was surrounded by police and every single Stoke fan in the pub was told that they weren't going to Old Trafford at all. They were going... 
I think there are some away fans that still get a rough deal um, by both police and stewards. But yeah, again, I think we're definitely in a much, much, much better place with policing and to some extent stewarding than we were 10 years ago or even five years ago in some cases. Absolutely. I think certainly uh, over those, over, you know, over that period of time, it's noticeable for me going to away grounds and my own ground, actually, the, the Madeski, um, just how um, just how much better the stewarding and the policing is and how much lighter touch it is um, going, you know, particularly to, to away games. I think one of the things that I'm that I'm keen um, to stress is that, you know, a, as a straight white male, late 30s male, um, I kind of know my 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 place as it were um my slightly more privileged place than than a number of other factions of society but then i don't really suffer any degree of discrimination um knowingly but the one one area where i will suffer discrimination and have in the past is when i choose to follow my football club you know just to go to a football match and of course there are separate laws for football supporters than there are any other um, elements of the law-abiding society. And, you know, these laws were were first put into yes. into the statute book in, in the 80s, weren't they? And they haven't really changed. Um, are we any closer, really, to get to, to um, having them removed? Or, I don't think um, so. Modified? While, while there's no appetite to look at the legislation or get some of the more archaic parts of it removed, I think it is fair to say that the legislation is used less and less and less. So, for example, I would get a hell of a lot of people come to me um, having been arrested for drinking in view of the pitch or arrested for being drunk trying to enter a football yeah. stadium, both of which are incredibly criminal offences. Um, hardly mm -hmm. get any of those anymore. So there's definitely far, far, far more discretion when it comes to exercising those powers than there was. Yeah. That that first one, sorry, just, just strikes me as absolutely barking mad, as though... Um, you know, having an alcoholic drink and drinking that alcoholic drink within sight of a football pitch is going to turn you into um, a, a, a raging lunatic. That's just I don't I don't get why because all, all of these laws that, were that, rushed that is through even a law. with you know off the back of the English disease, the so-called English disease, and the headlines and the massive moral panic mm -hmm. around it. So everyone hated football fans. Everyone thought football, you know, was followed by hooligans. Something had to be done. So, of course, when this legislation that was, you know, designed to prevent hooliganism was taken through Parliament, Liberty, for example, weren't standing up and saying, hang on a minute, you know, you, this legislation is going to criminalise a general gen, um, generation. The academics probably weren't standing up saying, what do you possibly hope to achieve here? Surely it would be better if you were going, to, you know, if you treated football fans better and gave them better conditions to be in. That would be a start. Um, that There just wasn't that debate and discussion that there should have been around the legislation. Hence, it all got passed 
things, things, things yeah, I mean, okay. for example, um, yeah. missile <laughs> throwing. So the, the legislation around missile throwing was designed to be able to prosecute people that threw coins and lighters, you know, deliberately with malicious intent to cause harm. Happy days, can't argue with that. Yes, yeah. But even if it's used relatively sparingly, it still infuriates me beyond belief when I get a phone call, and I do six, seven, eight, nine times a season, which people might say, well, it's only a, you know, a handful of times. It's not even in double figures. But that doesn't matter for the individuals that have been arrested for throwing an empty water bottle to the floor in frustration or throwing a sweet or throwing yeah. fancy dress trousers or throwing a half-empty coffee cup towards the pitch. Mm -hmm. So because missile isn't defined beyond anything airborne, we see people arrested for throwing those items, which, you know, how that is deemed in the public interest mm -hmm. is absolutely, completely, utterly beyond me. Yeah. And of course, if, um, if these people are, you know, arrested and charged, in all likelihood, the um, the CPS will be looking for um, a football banning order as well, and, and on top of the standard um, the, st the standard punishment, be it fine, community service, or absolutely in, spot in on. extreme cases. Yes, and that, that's another of my massive bugbears around football banning orders, because football banning orders were brought in to stop um, hooliganism, football related violence and disorder, and. In theory, to get a football banning order, you there's a two-limbed test that needs to be passed. These are criminal um, football banning orders because there are civil football banning orders as well. So for the CPS to successfully apply for a football banning order, yeah. an individual has first of all got to be um, convicted of a football-related offence. So if any of your listeners are particularly interested, they can just Google CPS football-related offences and they will see a very, very long list that actually and incredibly includes um, drink driving to and from a football match. That, to the best of my knowledge, no one has ever got a football banning mm -hmm. order because they've been convicted yeah. of drink driving to or from a match. And however abhorrent I find drink driving, it's not yeah. a football related offence. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, well, yeah, it, it's a standard offence um, that's, you know, obviously intensely frowned upon um, and the punishments are already there to, to prevent people from doing that. So what difference does it make whether or not they're driving to a, to a football exactly. match or a rugby match or to and from work or Indeed. to and from the pub? It is, yes. Um, the offence is still but exactly the, the same. Um, the, the, the second part of the test that needs to be passed before a court will grant an application for a football banning order is that the court believe that doing so will prevent future football-related violence and or disorder. So, you know, if you've just convicted somebody of violent disorder and the court has sat through CCTV image of an individual beating someone up or throwing traffic cones around or putting a chair through a pub window, absolutely. You know, that, that test is passed without even yep. any discussion. But if you've got an individual mm -hmm. who, say, has never comes to the attention of the police, could be you. Let's say it's you. You've told a steward to fuck off. So you are then arrested of Section 5 public order. Mm -hmm. 
which is causing harassment, alarm or distress because you've been blind at the steward. You are then convicted of that. Yeah. So although there's been no football related violence as such, you've had an incident with a steward because that steward is telling you to sit down when your team are on the attack. So you're in a bad mm-hmm. mood and you said to the steward, fuck off, mate. You know, I'm watching my team. That steward has taken offence at you telling him to fuck off and has dragged you out of the stadium. You, in turn, have taken offence at being dragged out of the stadium and have let rip with a few choice words. So so you've been convicted. You haven't got a lawyer in court to argue your case. You don't know whether you're coming or going because you've, you know, you're in court. It's completely alien experience to you. Um, you've had to take a day off work. You're worried about cost, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, a football banning order application is put forward. And the magistrates look at each other, look at you, see a football hooligan because you told a steward to fuck off. And they rubber stamp the application with no discussion or debate as to whether doing so will prevent future violence yeah. or disorder. You pay the price, you know, you, you, you've now got a criminal record and you've got a football banning order, which in theory could stop you going not just to the Majeski on a match day, but into Reading Town Centre three, four, five hours before and after a game. Mm-hmm. It will stop you going to any town where Reading are playing away. Yep. So you've got relatives in Manchester You can't go and Mm -hmm. see them on the same weekend as Reading are playing Manchester United or Manchester City because you're breaching the terms of your banning order. And on top of all of that, you have to surrender your passport Mm -hmm. every time England play away, even if you have never followed England away or had any intention of doing so. Ditto if, you know, hypothetically Reading were in Europe. Mm -hmm. You would likewise have to hand in your passport even if you had no intention of following Reading overseas. Now, if you were represented by a solicitor who knew what they were doing, they would be able to put forward a very strong case that you were not deserving of a football banning order. But if you turned up at court unrepresented, bit green, didn't have a clue, the chances are you would leave that court with not only a criminal record, but with a football banning order as well, all because you told a steward to fuck off which I'm not condoning, you know, again, going back to what I said at the very start, behaviour has consequences and yeah. ultimately a steward telling you to sit down is only doing his job. But there are a million and one buts to that particular scenario, aren't there? Yeah, and, and this is why we have, why we have um, well, in effect, yeah. trials all, all the time because every circumstance is different, isn't it? Um, and they're, they're they're there to to assess the seriousness of the crime as much as to deliberate over punishment if found guilty. But that's why also why legal um, representation is important um, because the legal system is an absolute minefield of intricacies, um, and self representation is um, no, well, and and that's you know is, that, that's is, is not a wise idea is within it? itself. You know the fact that the criminal justice system is falling down. Anyway, the fact that, yeah. um, you know, that legal aid lawyers are now far and few between because it's just not worth their financial while. But this is why we are so lucky to have Melanie Cook of Football Law, because not only will she give a free of charge consultation, mm-hmm. her rates are very, 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 very reasonable. 
you know, she's she's not charging 10 grand for a magistrate's mm -hmm. court. In some cases, she's not even charging a grand for yeah. it. And, you know, for, mm -hmm. when, when people phone me up, they say, oh, I don't need a lawyer or I can't afford a lawyer. And it's, it's always a conversation that has to be handled very delicately because it's not for me to push anyone in the arms of a lawyer. You know, it, it yeah. is entirely their decision. But I do feel it's my role to point out the benefits of having a lawyer. And, you know, the fact that having a decent lawyer can help you avoid a criminal record and all the consequences of a criminal record. So I, I, I sometimes have to bite my tongue when I'm talking to people because mm -hmm. it's, you know, I, I, I can't delve into people's finances and ask them. But equally, I'm kind of thinking... Well, if you can afford a season ticket mm -hmm. and you go to all the away games, you can probably find the money for a solicitor and doing so could potentially save you from a criminal record yep. and all the consequences of that. And even if it can't save you from a mm -hmm. criminal record because you are guilty as charged and you deserve one, might save you from a football banning order and all the restrictions that will bring in. So it, it, it is treading that very fine line between trying to mm -hmm. persuade somebody of the benefits of a lawyer without at the same time saying, if you don't have one, you're an absolute fucking idiot. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think that point is very, very succinctly made. Um, so of course you know we're talking about the the whole legal side of it but there is a completely other side of complete other side where you're actually dealing with individual clubs as well aren't you um because the football banning order is one thing in law um but you know, clubs also um reserve the right to um impinge upon the freedoms of um of, of supporters um without seemingly yes, any comeback um, with their own and i'm going to be um, very very pedantic orders, here and say one of my many pet hates is when football clubs tell fans they are being issued with a football banning order because they're not um and you know using the incorrect terminology mm -hmm. can and does cause confusion so clubs will write to fans and say we are giving you a football banning order when they're not because all they're doing is issuing a club ban so it's not unheard of for fans to ring me up and say oh my club have written yeah. to me and, and you know they're telling me i'm i've got a football banning order so do i have to give them my passport no you don't no mm -hmm. no sure so this is this is literally just a, a ban from that individual club so you can't go in into that club stadium um or any of their their land yeah. it's a it's a different kettle of fish when that club is playing away, is it? Um, if you can get uh, a you ticket. Can quite happily go to a, go to away matches. Yeah. Um, but, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, ultimately, yes. a football stadium yeah. is private property. And even though you enter that stadium, you do so because you've entered into a contract with your club to abide by the terms and conditions. So notwithstanding the fact that the terms and conditions are generally yes. one-sided yeah. or, you know, heavily weighted in favour of the club, nearly every single club will have amongst its terms and conditions the right to ban individuals from their stadiums. And in some cases, that's, you know, that would be absolutely fair. Um, not, so, not so much now. But of course, when we see, um, you know, when we, when we see and hear of bans being given for such... You know, trivial, trivial things. 
Yes, it does. Um, But you are right, you know, there there will be, and I have them across my desk, some cases where I do have to say to supporters, sorry, there's not a single thing I can do for you because the club were right to ban you. And you know what? Generally, fans know that Mm -hmm. and they they, they will take it on the chin. Um, But, yeah, I mean, in, in exactly the same way as I, you know, if I turned up on your doorstep ranting and raving, you could kick me off your land a football club can do exactly the same with supporters and ban them so my my issue isn't at all the clubs banning supporters from their stadiums what I have a problem with is the lack of due process that the vast majority of football clubs afford their supporters and even where clubs do say there is a due process Mm -hmm that tends to be a box ticking exercise rather than a genuine and meaningful appeal process. Yeah. So, so you are effectively guilty, um, um, as charged before you, you're you're guilty until proven innocent. It's my experience as well that, um, Um, in the club's eyes tend to believe they're stewards over and above supporters. Yeah. Because ultimately you're talking about, you know, a a minimum of, of, um, Sort of one individual against another individual, you know, and both of those individuals might be on, you know, well, the the, the supporter could be, you know, in, increasingly well, more honest than 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 the steward. The steward is, yeah, you know, it, 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 yeah, the steward I has worked exactly at the where club for decades um, and is absolutely known to the safety officer and the staff. Then, yes, you know that there probably is merit in believing a long-standing and loyal member of staff if you've got no reason not to trust his integrity. But so many clubs now have agency stewards, you know, that come in, do a match, you know, that they might be at West Ham in the morning, uh, they might be at Spurs in the afternoon, and then they might be at the O2 Arena in the evening. You know, because that that, that is the nature of their job. So I'm not necessarily Mm -hmm. calling in to account yeah. individuals' integrity. But what I am saying is I think it's troubling that clubs do tend to believe their stewards over and above their supporters. When there should be equal weight given at the uh, very start uh, to... Yeah, um, completely. Start and and most of the letters that are uh, sent to supporters telling them another. that they're bound after an incident don't include the word alleged, don't include the word appeal, don't include no, sure. we attach CCTV evidence to support our case. And of course that there's there's also that added issue that if this if this is something that's well it will be something that's occurred on a match day, um invariably that individual supporter or group of supporters will have already received a punishment insofar as they've been kicked out or they've not been given a, uh, entry um or or something like that and already received a, a club ban and this process might not start until a month two months further down the line when the Absolutely. club have already played and if we go back to that hypothetical where I've got you in you know with, with your row with a steward you know that that and that, that that's a very very real scenario steward comes up to a fan you know you are in in theory allowed to stand at a mm-hmm. moment of high excitement if your team are attacking that is a legitimate moment of high excitement some steward comes up to you and goes, oi, can you sit down? 
you are going to say, sorry, mate, I'm just, you know, I'll sit down when I know whether we've scored or not. So by, by Stuart treat, you know, speaking to you in that way, mm-hmm. poorly, ordering you what to do, not understanding the dynamic, you know, whilst, you know, oh, you, you could on one hand, and it's right to say he is just doing his job. You shouldn't have turned around and told him to fuck off. But fast forward to the real world. How are you going yeah. to react to somebody telling you to, to uh, swearing and yeah. telling you to do something? Yes, okay, that individual's the the, the authority, um, and and you know that that authority should always be respected. But at the same time, that individual also has the has the um, the, the supporter has the right to be treated with respect and not told to fucking sit down. Um, and I'm sure that there are stewards around the country that have done that in the past um, and completely denied it in a subsequent. Um, uh, subsequent Absolutely, investigations yes. to a club. So, and, you know, you know he, I mean, the, the, the hypothetical that I put you in, you got arrested for it, but you could just as easily not have been arrested, but turfed out by a steward who's gone immediately hands-on, not giving you the chance to walk out of your own accord. He's grabbed you by the arm, shoved your arm mm-hmm. up your back, propelled you up the stairs and out the door, giving you a kick up the backside while he's done so, taken your name and address... You are the one that is then banned for five games, six games, four games a season. Mm-hmm. But if you write yeah. in and say, well, look, you know, the steward was rude to me, demanded that I sit down when we were attacking, blah, 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 blah. You're not going to get a reply, but you should. And and this is hugely problematic no. in, no, in sure. football, you know. We all stewards do have a really tough job, don't they? And let's face it, some people can be absolute assholes and rude and ignorant to people that are just trying to do a job that's poorly paid. So, you know, we can't not acknowledge that. But at the same time, football is just one of those industries that, whilst again, you know, things are better and there are some clubs out there that bend over backwards to, you know, create a good environment in which people will behave and be respectful. There's plenty more that don't, that, you know, don't see football fans as paying customers who have paid a lot of money for the privilege of a season ticket, that think that they can employ people to talk to people like shit and then wonder why arguments happen. You know, we, we, we don't want a red carpet. We don't yeah. want to be called sir or madam. Mm. And we also want the fact that, you no, know, ultimately, and I know respect, this will we? go against the grain because a lot of people say we're not customers, we're fans, but we are customers. We are paying customers who pay a lot of money for our tickets. We pay a lot of money to get to and from the game. We pay a lot of money for food and drink. Mm-hmm. We pay a lot of money for merchandise. But all of that doesn't translate to treating people well, and it should. Responsibility was well, not responsibilities. That's probably the wrong word. Um, but a fan, if he gets into a spot of bother, whether it's his fault or not, um, what should they, they, they're escorted out, um, perhaps arrested or whatever? Comply and be polite. What should they do? Because doing anything other than that will not end well at all Mm -hmm. um actually being arrested and taken back to a police station now is 
quite unusual. The um, what tends to happen more so these days is names and addresses are taken and then either the police will send a court summons through the post or invite people in for an interview to discuss it. So, you know, they can turn up as an interview that's been prearranged, mutually convenient. Um, mm -hmm. But the key thing is, and I just could say this till I'm blue in the face, if you're guilty or you're innocent, if you think you're guilty, if you think you're innocent, get a solicitor. You are entitled to a free solicitor at the police station. Um, ask for football law associates and they will be on, even though they're independent of the mm -hmm. police, the police have got a database with um, police station solicitors. So they will access that and then they'll get football or associates to send a solicitor to the police station. Um, you know, if the police say, are you sure you want a solicitor? You know, you could be out the door within an hour if you don't have one. Um, you want a solicitor because literally cases can be won or lost at the police station. And if somebody actually has been arrested, I will always say, if you've got a solicitor, yeah. and they'll either say, no, I was guilty, so I didn't need one. Or no, or, 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 or equally not a good idea. No, I didn't do it, so I didn't need one. Not a good idea. <laughs> so bear, bear in mind that the police station is not a place to decide your guilt or innocence. Yeah. It's a place to take statements. You need a yeah, gather. You need a solicitor. So again, football or associates, gather free evidence. of charge. They will come to the police station and make sure that you don't make matters worse for yourself, which can be so easily done. And that's you, you know that that applies whether you're you know even if you know that you are guilty, you still yeah. need a solicitor because what you're guilty of might not necessarily be what the police are looking to charge you with. So you just need that solicitor to protect your rights. Um, and, you know, if you, if you don't have a solicitor at the police station and you're charged, it's still not too late to get a solicitor. So, again, as I said earlier, um, ring me at the Football Supporters Association or ring Melanie Cook directly at Football Law Associates for a free of charge consultation. Um, and she can talk you through the merits of representation of your case and also discuss the costs with you. And likewise, you know, if, if the police ring you up and say, oh, we saw you doing, throwing a brick at a game or whatever, we, we want you to come in for a voluntary interview. Um, don't say no, go, because if you don't turn up for a voluntary interview, the police will come and knock on your door or turn up at your place of work and arrest you. Again, you're entitled to a free solicitor at the police station for a voluntary interview. So, again, you know, sometimes the police are really good and they will say um, you're entitled to a solicitor if you want to bring one. But I've heard too many times that the police kind of make out like it's a cosy chat. You'll be in and out within half an hour. So little Johnny trots innocently along to the police station, mm -hmm. not fully understanding yep. that this voluntary interview could result in him being charged with an offence. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty pretty much the the advice that you need to follow. I think if um, if you're ever in any in any issues uh, at a, at a football match, um, Amanda, how just just um, just very uh, quickly, you're you're obviously active on social media. My Twitter address is at faircop underscore. Another piece of advice that I would give, um, if you notice 
a fellow supporter or a mate getting into trouble, be it at the hands of um, the police or stewards, record it on your phone. Stand at a respectful. I mean, if you go up to a copper and wave your phone in his face and call him a whatever, you will end up getting nicked because you're obstructing him. If you stand at a sensible distance, record what's happening, that could be invaluable. So if you notice any interactions between police and fans or stewards in fans that you think something's not quite right, record it on your phone. Um, recording inside a ground is slightly different because a steward can mm -hmm. ask you not to film him and you need to do what he says because they do have the right to ask you and you should turn your phone off if a steward says don't record. But again, yeah. you know, if you're respectful about it and stand at a decent distance, you don't interfere with them. You, you should be all right. But a steward, you know, it, it, even if you're filming and a steward objects, he can't take your phone off you. And he yep. can't demand that you delete the footage either. He can ask, but you don't no. have to. Take, take stewards' numbers as well, which is mm -hmm. another important thing. Yep. But again, like I said, I mean, the, the chances of anyone needing this is remote, but it's football. Mm -hmm. You never know. No. And I think <laughs> I think that's probably a good place to finish up on. Um, Amanda, it's been, um, yeah, interesting, um, well, beyond interesting. I, I mean, this is a, a, an area of um, football supporterdom that I could talk for absolutely ages on. Hello again, ladies and gents. Just a quick note to say that this is being recorded um, a little... Um, after time, after editing, apologies for the extremely abrupt ending to the to the episode with Amanda, um, but the recording has actually um, corrupted slightly at the back end there, which is a little bit of a pain. Um, but there wasn't a huge amount of uh, information and uh, and detail that was lost. It was all <laughs> pretty much goodbyes. Um, but uh, just um, some quick information, so you can follow um, Amanda uh, Amanda Jacks at the FSA. Um, on Twitter, she's active there um, on at faircop underscore um, and the FSA as well, the Football Supporters Association. They really, really are worth a follow and um, and free membership. They're free to join. They act um, solely on donations. You can follow them um, on uh, Twitter again at we are the FSA. Um, and uh, you click on their profile and uh, it takes you, you can, the, the website is there to take you to all their campaigns. Essentially what they're there is to try and make your life better as a football fan. So honestly, I, I, um, I can't, I can't um, highly recommend them enough. They're a great help to a lot of people. Um, otherwise, um, a big, big thank you to Amanda for her time um, in the meantime. And um, that's uh, Terrace Memoirs out for this episode. Just another quick um, note to say there will not be an episode next week as I have a week's annual leave with my children. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm having a week off, um, but we'll be back recording um, an episode with um, a very good Chelsea fan, uh, friend of mine um, on Monday the 19th with the episode released on Thursday the 22nd, nine o'clock the usual time. Um, otherwise, ciao for now.